Missy. Yep. Uh, if you would join me in welcoming Iris, Briani, and Nighty to Pleasant Valley, they're here this morning. Thank you. Amen. Bienvenidos. Uh, we're so thrilled and excited uh, what the Lord is doing, and uh, let us not grow weary in doing good. It's, a, it's an easy way for us to, to love Jesus and to say yes. And I know that some of you are in process, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing for us. We come to church because we want to grow. We don't come because we're fully formed in Jesus. We want to be shaped. We want to be changed. I've let you know, uh, seen some of my own growth, uh, which is hard to do. It's difficult. People ask me uh, and sometimes even tell me, uh, you look nervous. Are you nervous? Always. Always. Uh, Sammy texted me this morning. How you doing? I said, reverently timid. <laughs> it's, it's my, I said, as usual, like I am, I feel the weight of what we're doing. And I feel the, the severity of the kindness of God and the goodness of God. And so I want to do a good job always. And yeah, it was interesting. Actually, I was standing there in the back of the room and some weeks it's, it's more intense than others that I feel unable to carry the torch or to use my, the weapons of our warfare, which are not of this world, but they're spiritual to tear down strongholds. And sometimes you need your friends around you. You need to hear the church singing. And I literally was back there. I was sitting in the back corner back there, just kind of sitting, praying, waiting, because I have to stand this whole time. So sometimes I sit during the worship part. <laughs> but I was back there. I was like, Lord, I don't know. I don't know. And then I just, I listened and I could just hear you all singing. And then I saw Sammy and the emotion in his heart. And sometimes we just need our brother and to look over when you're kind of got your head down in the foxhole and you look over and you see your brother standing up and he is firing his weapon for the Lord. And you're like, okay, okay, I can do this. Lord, we can do this. So welcome. Uh, I want to say welcome to those who are online. I want to say it's okay wherever you are in this process of transition of COVID, uh, Either way is okay, mask or not, whatever God is doing, wherever you are, if you're watching from a distance and that feels safe to you, it's okay. And if you're here and you have a mask, it's okay. We are giving grace. We're doing this just like you. We don't know how this is all supposed to work other than the fact, and I keep going back to this, that God has allowed it. God is using it, will use it for his glory to bring the most people to know him. That's what we must say. If we say anything about COVID-19 is we say that. This is what God is allowing for his glory, for his kingdom. Today's message is titled The Narrow Door. If you want to turn in your copy of God's word, uh, if that's on your phone, that's fine too. To Luke chapter 13, verse 22. Uh, before going to prayer, I just want to say as we enter into Memorial Day weekend... Memorial Day is a time to remember and to remember those who have given their lives for what we enjoy here, freedom in the United States of America. And that may not always be the case. In fact, if you read your Bible, you know that it won't always be the case. Uh, there is a start and end date for every nation. All will be in chaos before Jesus returns. Okay, so we know that's that's going to happen. But as we remember and we reflect on those who actually gave their lives so that we could enjoy 
religious liberty so that we could have the ability to speak to other people about Jesus Christ, to say what I'm gonna say today about him being the only way without fear of punishment, those things were purchased and established for religious freedom, those things. And so as we pray, that's a good thing to remember. It always points us to the great sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. So will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for uh, what we enjoy in our country. Uh, Lord, thank you for the freedom that we have. We're aware that uh, there are stirrings and difficult things all the time, always at the door. Uh, Lord, we know this is not a forever thing, but we're super thankful for it. And God, we are thankful for those who made the ultimate sacrifice uh, so that we could continue to be able to say, hey, let's come together and let's make new laws and let's continue to improve who we are. Um, thank you, God, for this uh, experience in the United States of America. Lord, thank you for what we have. I pray that we wouldn't take it for granted and that we would continue to um, be grateful to you. Uh, Lord, this morning, as we spend time in your word, we want to be reverently timid. We want to listen. We want to hear your heart. We want to have a posture that says, I don't think I can pull this off on my own. I'm going to need help. I'm going to need outside supernatural help. And Lord, that's a good place to be. Speak to us. Do what you do best, which is use the living word of God accompanied with your Holy Spirit to change our hearts. We ask this in the beautiful and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Sometimes we're headed down the wrong path. And what I mean by the wrong path is sometimes our heart is tough and calloused. You know when you meet somebody who has a tough exterior, tough heart, hard to talk to, hard to get to. And we could even be somebody who is generally pretty soft in conversations, but you have those moments when you're like, you know, just tough, closed off. The great thing about Jesus is he pursues us and he's very specific to go after the place in our hearts that actually is tough and calloused. He's like a good doctor. The Bible calls him the great physician. So a great physician, if you go to visit them and you got something going on in you, they'll say, well, how are you feeling? Not really good. Well, it's, it's probably nothing. Just, just go home, get some rest. It'll probably be okay. No, what do they do? They ask questions. They poke. They do tests. They do x-rays. They do imaging. They do whatever it takes to find the thing, they, they put together the symptoms. They come up with these different things. Made the mistake of going to the movies with my friend Joe Koo, making sure he's listening. There he is. And we were watching this moment on the screen where somebody was doing a medical procedure. And he was sitting there in the seat and he like up on the edge and he's like, oh, he's doing this and this and this. And I was like, shut up. Like, I want to watch. <laughs> I know you know. You're, he's diagnosing. He's watching and he's like, ooh, that's this. Ooh, ooh, ooh. He's so excited. Doctors, good doctors do that. They know to poke and prod. And so Jesus, when he looks at your life and he says, hmm, you seem a little bit calloused in this area. Does this bother you? No. <laughs> he knows exactly where to poke. And so he comes after us. And today you're going to see him continue to go after people where they are. 
he somehow, even if they think they're being clever, and we are, in the way we ask him questions or the way we approach him, he somehow knows how to slice and parse and get right down to the core of who we are. Jesus tells us, and we're going to see this today, that he isn't just a way, he is the only way. Now, is it popular to say that in our culture? No. No. The popular thing to say is many ways. Everybody needs to have whatever they want, however they want to get there. But Jesus' way is not a path of consensus. There is not a, yeah, good job, Jesus. Many will disagree. Many will push back. You're not going to get pats on the back for following Jesus. It's not going to happen. You won't have the world saying, ooh, wow, that's great. Yet Jesus is going to hold his ground. He's going to poke in the right spots. He's going to pursue your heart in those places. And in an emergency situation, you know what he's going to do? He's just going to crash into you. You will have a collision with Jesus. You're going to watch it happen today. First, it's just going to be like nudges. And then it's just going to be full on. He's just going to hit hard. That's a good thing. I've experienced the Lord pursuing me over the course of my life, which isn't that long yet. I know I'm still young, but I've definitely learned when he's after me. He's pursued, I've ignored. He pursues harder. I try to ignore, eventually he starts to get you. But I remember even back in middle school, God pursuing me. God going after my calloused heart or a heart that was intent on doing things the way the world would say, this is how you do this. This is who you, you can be. My friend Jay and I were in middle school and we had somehow convinced our parents to let us go see Rambo First Blood Part 2. I don't know how we pulled that off. But I had this thing in my heart as a little boy that was stirring and a little bit disturbing. I wanted to meet the beast. I wanted to figure out what it meant to be strong and a warrior, what it meant to go to war. I remember seeing pictures in my great uncle's house, pictures from World War II. My grandfather, like, what is that like? What is it like to be strong like that? We both had planned this night to a T. We were going to watch the movie. We were going to sleep in Jay's backyard in tents. We both had purchased or had our parents purchase for us new knives that looked like Rambo's knife. <laughs> Obscenely huge blade, serrated edge. You could screw the cap off the top that happened to have a compass in case you get lost in Jay's backyard. <laughs> Inside is fishing wire and hooks and waterproof matches because we all need those, right? So here we are. And we're excited and we went, we're ready to join the cause. We didn't even know what it was. <laughs> we're like, yes. Uh, so Jay's parents took us to the movie and I'm pretty sure I didn't secure permission from my parents. So mom, this is me telling you, I went and saw Rambo First Blood Part Two, <laughs> And it was everything we hoped it would be. Rambo was as tough as ever. His acting was as horrible as ever. Adrian, it's Sylvester Stallone. And bad guys were caught, bad guys were killed, Rambo needed a shower, his chiseled form stood strong the whole night. And we got in the car and we didn't have our knives with us, but we might as well have. We we're like, let's go. 
Let's go. Time for the camp out. Time to meet the enemy. We left the theater. The beast is roaring inside. It starts to rain. <laughs> A slight drizzle of rain starts covering the road and the windows start to glisten. And Jay's dad says, you know, it might not be the best night to sleep outside. We looked at each other with little boy determination and said, if Rambo can do it, we can do it. <laughs> and then it happened. I'm not going to tell you till the end. Because it's at that moment, that moment of like, this is what I want. I want to be strong. I want to be a warrior. I want to pursue this. You know, you see movies, you look at movies and it's top gun, not top disciple. Okay. That's what we know sells. It's like, I want to fly F-15s at Mach 4. I want to do that. I want to go with my hair on fire and be a warrior. I want to be Sylvester Stallone. I want to have the knife. My dad even tried to talk me into buying a smaller knife. And he told me, he goes, hey, I know you want this one. I know it looks cool. It's cheap. I'll buy you this one. It's more expensive. It's a better knife. I said, no, dad, I need that one. Because I wanted the image. I wanted it to be just like Rambo's. It's at that point where the Lord sometimes says, all right, let's do something. We got to do something. That's where we are today. Luke 13, verse 22. Jesus has people in a similar heart place. Here's what happens. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, like many people did, Lots of questions. Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now you should first think, how does anybody know to ask that? Saved? Saved from what? How do they know that's a thing? Why do they agree that that's a thing? Will those who are saved be few? He's teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Jesus is on his own collision course. We've been talking about this. He is fixing his heart and mind to Jerusalem. He will get there as he gets closer. He will become more intense. He is increasing his speed. He is gripping and steering, gripping the steering wheel. His eyes and heart are fixed. He is on his way to his mission, but on the way he is interacting with people where they are with their hearts and they're trying to figure him out. They want to know, what does he think? What does Jesus think about this? And so sometimes they bring a question. It's an interesting question. You know, I thought about this this week. When there's somebody important, you know they're important, or you think they're important, or they say they're important, and you're around them. Even if you aren't asking a question, everything you're doing around them is asking a question. What's the question? What do they think? In fact, our whole life is about living this question mark in front of the world that says, world, people in the world, here I am. What do you think? What do you think? Do you approve? Sometimes it's as simple as a haircut or new clothes and you're wondering, do I look stupid? What does everybody think about this? Or I made good grades. Does anybody care? I did well in this sport. I made the sale. I didn't make the sale. I said something intense about politics. Everything's a question. Everything has this thing. I wonder what you'll think. And so they come to Jesus and they think, well, he seems important. Actually, he seems really important. Maybe we should ask him. Maybe we should ask him about something big like salvation, whatever that is. 
They were right. If there's one person on the planet that you wonder what they think of you, let it be the incarnate son of God. Let it be Jesus Christ. Ask him the question. Ask him what he thinks. Jesus, what do you think? If you only have one question to ask Jesus, just one. Imagine you have the moment, you have the floor, you're standing in front of him and he's like, go ahead. What would you ask? Think hard about that. Depends on where you are. Depends on the level of callousness of your own heart. Depends on what's happening in your life this week. I thought about it. I've known the Lord for a while. I've been walking with him. And so I'm not wondering if I'm saved. But you know the question that came to my mind? When's the day? When's my day? How long do I have? Pretty serious question, isn't it? What if you knew this many? Would that change some things about how you lived? Probably. What's your question? Here's the thing about Jesus. You'll ask a question and sometimes he answers, but it's not your question. <laughs> he does this. In fact, there, I looked it up. About 180 plus or minus questions asked of Jesus in the New Testament. He answered back with over 300 questions himself. And I think maybe three direct answers. Three. You ask a question, he asks you one back. And his question is better because it goes deeper. They're asking about other people getting saved. Who will be in, Jesus? Who will be out? It's kind of like a person who goes to that doctor outside of the office, maybe at church, don't do that by the way, and says, I have this friend who has a problem. And the doctor's like, and by friend, you mean you, right? That's what they're, they're coming up and Jesus knows this about them. He knows they're the one with the problem. It's not how many of them will be saved. They're starting to feel this thing of like, who gets in at all? So Jesus bumps just like, you know, he's driving, he's driving to Jerusalem. They're coming along in their little car. Jesus doesn't drive a bicycle, by the way. He's got a big old Mack truck. They're kind of, he's driving and he's like, I'm just gonna rub him a little. You know, they kind of, that's what happens in this next verse here. He said to them, you're asking about everybody else. You strive to enter through the narrow door. Why'd you do that, Jesus? I asked you about them and you're talking to me. Yes, you. You should strive to enter through the narrow door. Many, you want to know how many will be saved? Let me tell you how many won't be saved. Ooh, many will seek to enter, will not be able. When once the master of the house, who's the master of the house? It's God. Where are they trying to get into? The kingdom of God. Once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside, Lord, open it up. It's me. It's Chad. Just please. Come on. Come on. You know, listen. And he'll say, I don't know where you come from. I don't know you. You'll, be in, you'll say, look, I, we ate and drank in your presence. Lord, you taught in our streets. I, I, I was there. But he'll say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Man, if you ask that question about other people being saved and Jesus is answering you this way, you're like, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I don't really need you to talk anymore. Okay, He's, he is bumping. He is 
pushing them. In that place, here's a fun topic of conversation at lunch. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you are out. And people are going to come from east and west and north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God because they know it's the only thing they should be seeking. Behold, some who are last will be first. Some who are first will be last. So classic Jesus, he did this a couple weeks ago when we were in another passage, but he turns the question back on them. And they say, who among those people will be saved? And he pretty much says, are you saved? Are you Strive to enter through the narrow door because many will try to enter the kingdom of God. So you should strive. Wait a minute. Strive? I thought this was grace. I thought this was not works. Like, are you telling me this is just another competition where there's winners and losers? No. But he still picked that word for a reason. And we're going to figure out what it is. Most of us do try this though. We try to accomplish it on our own. We say, I'm a pretty good person. I've been doing these good things. Jesus is not saying that it is in your ability to get through the door on your own. You can't do it. There is no salvation by good works. In fact, if anything you hear from this little section of the, the passage here, who's in control of the door? God is. He opens it and he closes it. Nobody comes in with some strength or measure of good works and says, look, I got it open. God opens the door. I'll tell you it's open right now. And eventually he closes it. What is the door? Why is it narrow? What does it mean to strive to enter through the narrow door? If we go back to Genesis, the beginning tells us that Adam and Eve were locked out of somewhere. The garden. Locked out of relationship tarnished, their sin, their choice to say, we want to choose the knowledge of good and evil. We want to decide what is good, what is evil. We don't want you in our stuff anymore. We inherit that spiritual DNA. And you may say, no, I didn't. Clean slate when I was born, I was the exception. I bet if I spent just one day with you in your head, you would be telling me, yes, I am. <laughs> I totally inherited that I am as corrupt as anybody. Because that's, we are, we are. We know this about ourselves. You do not need me to convince you that you're a sinner. Okay, right? And no amount of good works, the Bible tells us, can get us through that door on our own. God is the owner of that house, the keeper of the door. And in a strange twist of plot, he is also the door. Weird. Jesus would say it, I am the door. I'm the door. I'm the only door. I'm the door. I'm the only door. Narrow, exclusive. Jesus is the door. Now he says, strive. And I am not impressed by people who can say, I know this Greek word and here's what it means. But every once in a while, the word actually sounds familiar. The reason I'm not impressed is because I hate it when I feel left out. And I hate it when I listen to somebody and they're like, you know, the blah, 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 blah says, and you're like, I don't know what you're saying. But sometimes the word actually sounds like something and the word for strive, tell me if it sounds like something to you. Agonizomai, agony. 
It's where we get the word agony. Agonizomai. And I was like, okay, I'll say that one. When you say yes to Jesus, guess what? It's difficult. You have a fight ahead of you. The rest of your life, it's going to be hard. I'm talking about the struggle <laughs> to follow Jesus. This narrow way to follow him. It's narrow because he says he's the only way. Absolute exclusivity. He says of himself, he's the way. And around here, you may say, well, why do I need to listen to that? Well, if you rise from the dead, you're kind of earned the right to be heard. And what you say is true. That's what we believe. You conquer death. Okay, I'll listen to you. He's earned the right to be heard and he's the one. Don't be mad at me. Don't be mad at Christianity. Be mad at Jesus because he's the one who's saying, yes, exclusive, no other way. We're called to this struggle. We're called to this fight to enter through this narrow door. But I am inclined, you may be too, to approach this fight like Rambo with a big knife and a compass, stuff inside. I want to do it myself. I'll get it done. A little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of me. That's what a lot of people do, right? I've talked with people every week and this is the fight. This is the fight we're in. We always want to give in to, I can do it. Worldly approach says this. Worldly approach to following Jesus. There is such a thing, which will get you out, keep you out. Worldly approach to following Jesus says this. Do what's right for you. Take your time. Do it in your own way. Nobody can push you. Nobody can put expectations on you. Nobody can tell you anything you need to do other than what you want, your own personal desires. Be you. It's a very Western message, Western culture message. So you come to Jesus and with that worldly kind of approach, you wait. You wait. So my mom say, you dilly-dally. You dawdle. You delay. You take half measures. You don't let all the light in. There are secret sins. You get cleaned up for church. There are secret sins waiting for you when you get home. You think proximity to Jesus, hanging out with him, is the same thing as knowing Jesus. You think a life with little to no fruit is okay with him. It's all right. Maybe that attending church is an automatic in. Oh, you went to church every, oh, okay. Well, three times a month. All right, come on. Jesus says many will try this. Many will try this and they will come up, let us in. He'll say, I don't know you. I don't know you. But Lord, we, we ate and drank in your presence. I went to church. You taught in my church. I know all the Bible stories. I don't know you. You're still locked out, cut off. This is judgment. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's used seven times in the New Testament, several times in the Old. It seems like an odd phrase, but actually, if you think about it, what is gnashing of teeth? You ready? It is teeth set on edge in anguish, pain, regret. And weeping is weeping. Not hard, is it? And the thing about this phrase is in the New Testament, it is always in the context of end of the age and judgment. Always. 
Jesus is saying, so whatever your understanding of hell, whether it's really hot or it's dark and separated, we know there's from the scripture says there's consciousness of understanding. It's not annihilation. It is eternal punishment. It's deserved. It, the people are saying this is right. This is what those, you can find all of that in the scripture. Okay. Does speak of heat and flames and hot, all this stuff. Dante's Inferno, you know, we got lots of things where people are trying to figure stuff out. Either way, Jesus says she'll be standing out there saying, this isn't good. This isn't good. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. We may say, that is unfair. That is unfair. That does not fit in our culture of everybody gets to decide what they want to be, Jesus. You should make it fair, God. The Bible says fair is actually that everyone is out. Grace opens the door. Because of Jesus, the door, grace means it does not have to be this way. No weeping and gnashing of teeth. No being cut off. No not excluded. But sitting at the table. This last part was interesting to me. People who their whole life, like they couldn't come in here. If you asked them, tell me one verse from the Bible, they'd be like, God helps those who help themselves, which is not in the Bible. But a lot of people think it is. That's, that's all they could do. I don't know. God loves the world and candy canes and rainbows, and whatever, like something like that. Like no church experience, no understanding of the gospel, shunned it their whole life. I don't even really believe there's a higher power, blah, blah, blah. They will be standing there saying, that's, that's Abraham. How do I know that? That's Isaac. Those are, the, those are the prophets. That's Mary. That's like, they will know everybody. They will know what's going on. Most of all, they will know that they're out. That's what scripture tells us. There will be an understanding. Everyone will say, I Get it. And you know then what they'll say? Please let me in. Please let me in. People will come from north, south, east, west. The first will be last. The last will be first. Only in recent times, especially from this last year of our country, what we've been struggling through, I've thought more about the persecuted church in China or Iran. Places where it's illegal to believe in Jesus. And I've started to see the wisdom of God because what happens in the New Testament is when everybody stays put and everybody gets comfortable, God does what? <laughs> Scatters. Persecution. And you know what happens to the church? Grows like crazy. We should be looking at the church, the underground church in China and Iran, which what I've heard to in Iran, it's just exploding. It's illegal to be a Christian there, but it's exploding. We should be looking to them to say, how do we do this? How do we do this well? Jesus says, yeah, they're out there. They'll be coming north, south, east, west, last, first, first, last. People you thought weren't in will be leading the way. We should humble ourselves and listen. Many will come that you didn't think were included. Why? Because they said yes to the door. They said, I'll go through that door because he's telling you he is the one requirement to get you into the kingdom of God. These are Jesus' words. He is the one requirement. 
And though it's hard to hear, think about where this started. Hey, Lord, can we ask you a question? How many do you think will be saved? A lot, a little. And he finishes with, hey, will you be hearing depart from me? That is quite a change in conversation, isn't it? Yeah, Jesus is like, hey, we're, we're not gonna play around here. I'm gonna get to the core of things, that he is the door, he is exclusive in the only way, so therefore it is narrow. So what is the struggle? What is the agonizomai part? What's the agony part <clears throat> for us? Our struggle is accepting his ultimate struggle. It is to say yes to the fact that he fought to the death for us to accept his victory. So to strive to enter requires something of you to drop your worldly insistence that there has to be a way that makes everybody happy. Your way must go. My way must go. We must drop our sin, our religious effort, our pride, our very lives and lay them at the feet of Jesus. It's the only way through the door. The struggle is to let go, is to not have control. Well, that's so narrow. That's so exclusive, seems unfair. But I think if you spoke with someone who is walking with Jesus, once you get through the door, then you're like, oh, now I see it. Because people that know Jesus, fully convinced, understand there's no other way. Well, Jesus, that's quite the speech. That was exactly what I was hoping for when I asked that question. No, they're uncomfortable. It wasn't a collision but a little fender bender. Jesus brushed the bumper. They and then got it back in. They're hanging in there. They're under control. These are difficult words. So how do you handle a heavy teaching from Jesus? How do you, what do you do with it? Pharisees are close by. They can't stand him. They've been trying to get him for a long time. So they're like, let's try something new. Let's try a subversive tactic. Verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get out of here. Herod's going to kill you. At first you may be like, oh, that's so nice and helpful. Mm -mm. Patronize 101. You know what they're doing? What their strategy is? Jesus, can I offer you a worldly piece of advice? I love this picture. It's just a pile of junk. (laughs) Although it's got a nice beam of light shining on it. Look how awesome this is. Trash. Can I give you some advice, Jesus? If I were you, I'd shut up. I'd get out of Dodge. They're going to kill you. If you keep doing what you're doing, the government is going to get in your grill and they're going to kill you. They're thinking, well, we can't beat him with rhetoric or theological wit. Maybe we can threaten him and he will bend. Can you threaten God? Can you avoid him if he wants to move you? It reminded me of Job 38. God's been listening to Job and his friends for quite some time. And then it says, then God spoke to Job out of the storm and said, who is this that obscures my plans and my words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. Now I will question you. I was like, oh, here we go. Jesus has had enough. Collision is coming. I nudged you before, but here comes the boom. You ready? Verse 32. He said to them, go and tell that fox, which I'm like, get your popcorn, baby. Here we go. Like, this is like, you go and tell that fox. 
Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day, yes, think about it. The third day, I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And I couldn't help as I read it, but put, oh, Winona, Winona. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often, this is compassion of Jesus, even in words of judgment, how often I wanted just to gather you up like a mama hen gathers her baby chicks. It's like, get under these wings here. I want to protect you. But you said, no, you were not willing Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Gentle Jesus just went off the handle. You go tell that fox. (laughs) Sometimes there needs to be a collision. Something has to happen to get your attention, get you out of your prideful way of bullying your way through life. What do I hear in Jesus' response? Try and stop me. Try and stop me. This will all happen exactly as I have planned. This is my fight. And I will finish it right on time. Now, how can I say that? Today, I cast out demons. Tomorrow, I heal people. And the third day, the third day in the tomb, I finish my course. Almost like it's been marked off. Because it has. What's Revelation tell us? The lamb slain. Anybody know it? You're going to know it in a minute. Before the foundation of the world. When somebody tells you like, hey, when did God come up with this whole thing about the cross and resurrection and conquering sin? You can say before there was even a blade of grass. Before there was a person. Before there was anything. Before the foundation of the world, the lamb Slain, And so Jesus is on schedule, right on time. He says, you won't see me until you say something has to happen over the millennia. So here's the great thing about the, if the Evangelical Free Church. And I encourage you, if you do want to become a member, please come this Saturday, sign up. It's a great time, shorter, condensed class where we're going to go through some things. But one of the things about the Evangelical Free Church, which is our denomination, is that when it comes to the end times... And what you believe about the end times, we don't get up in somebody's face if they don't believe exactly what we believe. We are unified in the essentials, but when it comes to secondary things like that, you know, you may be like, no, no, it's going to be the Jews saying this. Oh, it's Israel. It's it's national Israel right now. That's what's happening over there, building the temple and all this stuff. No, no, it's this, this. I kind of tend to fall in the pan-millennial thing. It'll all pan out in the end. But wherever you land, it's okay. You can think through, but what does he say? Something's going to happen. Something's going to happen until there's things that are unfolding in our history. At some point, the world and Jewish people, I think it's a pretty easy thing to figure out because he's speaking to the Jewish nation, are going to stand up and say, it was you all along. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Scripture also says they will look upon the one whom they have pierced and they will cry. They will weep. Why didn't we listen? 
It was you all along. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The world will say this, folks. Nobody will be like, no, I'm not going to believe it. Everyone will say, even in their rejection, he is the one. He is the blessed one. So where do you fit? As I often say, where are you in this story? That's what I like to do. I like to find myself in the crowd. Am I standing behind? Am I wearing sandals? Do I have a robe? I mean, I do this. Like, I'm just like, I want to, I want to, what's it smell like? Are we near a market? What's his voice sound like? What are the color of his eyes? What's Peter look like? I think I like Peter. Seems like me. You know, I do, do this all the time. And so I'm, I'm picturing, where am I in the story? Where are you in the story? What's your heart doing? What are you feeling? Is Jesus working on those calluses? Is he starting to come after you? Starting to soften your heart? How do you strive to enter the narrow door? How do you follow Jesus? How do you walk through the door? So we'll finish back in the car with Jay. We left the theater. As I said, the beast roaring inside with this pursuit of wanting to be these warriors. We were ready to be in the rain with our knives and fight this imaginary enemy out there. We wanted to be like Rambo. The rain started though. Jay's dad was driving a Ford Taurus. <laughs> Crazy the things you remember. The rain was starting to cover the windshield. He had to turn on the windshield wipers. You could see the headlights shining on the road. You know that point right at the beginning of a rain when there's just enough of kind of the oily residue on the road and the rain is shining and it makes it slick. And his dad said, hey, you probably shouldn't sleep outside tonight. We said, we can do it. <clears throat> and then it happened. Sharp turn of the wheel sent the car sliding and a massive boo impacted the front of the car. We stepped out, little boys again, into the cold night. The rain was falling harder. Headlights beamed through the congested air onto a dog that lay motionless in the street. I left the knife, even though I didn't really have it, but I left the knife. And there I am just, oh, heart is softening. Hear the voice of my father calling me back to who I am. In an instant, my need to tame the beast, to know what real war was like, gone. I didn't care. I no longer had the desire to be the tough guy, even find out if I was the tough guy. All I could think about was the dog whose breath labored with every breath. The owners came out, knelt down, and this is all new. You've never been around death or somebody at the point of death. They took a bandana and they tied it around its mouth. And I was like, why are they doing that? Like he's hurt. And they're like, well, he may bite us when we try to move him. Picked him up. You could hear the sounds of whimpering. They carried it into the yard. We got back in the car. We went home. We tried to forget the dog. We went outside in the tent. The rain kept coming. We lasted a few hours in the cold rain as it pelted the tent. Our new knives sheathed in cheap faux leather could do nothing for us because our hearts were already eaten up. Hollywood had been swallowed up by reality and our little boy, Innocence, fought our desire to remain calloused. We went inside, 
to Jay's bedroom to sleep there. But you know what I really wanted at that moment? To go home. Just wanted to go home. Why? Because I had a God pursuing me who was saying, you know what? You're not going to be that kind of warrior for me. Now, is it a good thing to have those kinds of people who are willing to lay their lives on the line? Yes. Not saying that. But there's another greater strength of courage and bravery that's called tenderness to Jesus. It's the strongest force in the universe. <laughs> you get somebody who can bend to the will of God by the grace of God, man. How do you strive? How do you agonizomai? You get out of the car. You realize that he has taken judgment for you. You shiver in the rain. Your heart softens as you see the innocent one take your punishment. You drop the knife. You go back inside. You say, I want to go home. You relent. You bend. You soften. You give way. You say yes to the narrow door. Jesus, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your relentless pursuit. Thank you that you're a great physician. Thank you that you showed the greatest act of struggle and courage and bravery, fixing yourself, journeying and teaching toward Jerusalem. And Lord, when people asked you questions, you could have just answered. You could have said, yeah, it's not gonna be everybody. Instead, Lord, you went straight to the callous place in their own heart to say, how about you? How about your struggle? Lord, even when others tried to threaten you, get you off course, you stayed fixed. You stayed true. We thank you for being our door. Lord, we would be locked out without hope if we didn't have a door to walk through. Jesus, thank you for being our door. Give us courage to drop our pride, to drop our pursuit of worldly ways and to say yes to you. Lord, you do whatever it takes to get us. Whatever collision is required, come after us. We love you, Jesus. Uh, God, as we sing about uh, you being our cornerstone, may it be true. Christ alone, cornerstone. May that be true of us. Amen. Why don't we stand as we sing?